Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I am Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of our department at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for being here with us again this week, Dr. Maurice. Oh, my pleasure as always. <laughs> so, you know, we see on the news that things are continuing to open up, businesses are opening up, people are going back, getting their hair cut. Um, of course, now we're also seeing new outbreaks and uh, increased cases in some of our states. So there's a continued need for laboratory testing. And I know that we have a lot of existing tests. People are continuing to ramp up volume. Uh, what's new on the horizon? Um, what are you thinking when you look to the future for laboratory testing for COVID-19? Well, I mean, number one, we're gonna continue to expand the, uh, the testing that we have to both diagnose and manage COVID. Uh, the reality is, is that this is something we're gonna be living with for some time. Uh, and so we really need to continue to advance our laboratory tools to manage the problem uh, for individual patients. And so that's things like the neutralizing antibody assay, which you know we will be talking about, I think, later this week. That's you know the test where we actually take the, the patients that have antibodies by serologic studies and actually uh, determine if they can block viral infection with a lab test uh, and viral infection of the cells by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So that's one. There's going to be a lot of, I think, work on understanding the immune response to COVID as we go forward, to, you know, especially as we think about treatments and other things. Neutralizing antibody is one, but there's others. It's in other tests in terms of looking at the different components of the immune system and how it's responding to COVID. I think that'll be really important, both in understanding and managing patients. And then also as we get things like vaccines and other treatments, it'll probably help understand which patients are really gonna benefit most from those or most at need. And then I think we'll continue also uh, understanding what, how we could use the testing to, to predict which patients are really going to get in trouble with COVID-19. Because that's really what it boils down to still is identifying early those patients that are at risk for having really bad outcomes with COVID. Because we know even in the high-risk groups, it might be 20% of patients that will get really have bad outcomes, and then 80% can be managed more conservatively. So um, anyway, so that's where we're really pushing the envelope on testing right now in terms of innovation. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? How could we, what would be some ways that we could predict who would be at risk for severe disease and really might go downhill quickly? Well, there's two uh, things that come to mind right away. One is that there's growing evidence that some individuals might have a, an existing level of immunity prior to exposure from their T cells, that in, particularly in that part of our immune system, there might be some cross-reactivity with some of the other coronaviruses. So that might be a way to actually identify before someone's even really has been infected or exposed who's at risk. And then what we do know is that once patients really start to get ill with COVID, there's things that we can see in the blood that are basically harbingers of someone getting really sick. Uh, again, it's a, a hyperactivation of the immune system in response to the virus that tends to really get people in trouble. So we can look at the chemicals called cytokines that the immune system uses to communicate. Those can really get out of whack. There's other things that we can look at. So I think it'll be a combination of both. 
more advanced immune testing to see who's at risk for getting the virus and then more uh, sensitive markers to say if someone has a virus, it looks like their body is responding in a way that eventually they're going to get really sick, even if they don't feel really sick yet. Sure, that makes sense. I mean, clearly there's opportunities beyond just our classic detection of antibodies. And as you mentioned, I'll be talking to Dr. John Mills later this week uh, about his new neutralizing antibody test, which I think is fascinating. You know, it's not just enough to know in some cases whether or not you have antibodies, but to actually know what those antibodies are doing and if they're capable of neutralizing the virus. Now, you're a T-cell guy, Bill. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> so should we be testing for T-cells? Are there any T-cell marker tests on the, in the future? I think we're in the exploratory phase right now, but I think there, there are some very uh, promising early work to suggest that there is some level of T-cell reactivity to, to SARS-CoV-2 in some individuals. And I would imagine that particularly as we start to look to vaccination trials, we're getting T-cell and innate immunity and K-cell immunity um, as recruited into the immune response is going to be important that that's going to be something that we'll be looking at. Yeah, I guess it's not just the B cells, then maybe the T cells cell. have a role. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, it's exciting to think about all these new tests possibly coming down the pipeline or at least, you know, worth investigating. Of course, we have our existing diagnostics and that's our bread and butter, what we have to be able to provide the best care for our patients. But there's some challenges with our existing diagnostics. Can you tell us a little bit about that from your view as our chair? Yeah, well, there's a, they're really twofold. Uh, number one is that the demand for the existing diagnostics, the molecular testing in particular, um, as well as the serologic testing now as well, is just going to continue to rise and rise. And yet the manufacturing that's required to supply the global need of diagnostics is still trying to catch up. So we continue to see instability in the supply chain for every manufacturer because it's, again, it takes so much to, to manufacture these diagnostic, both the chemicals as well as the plastics and other things that have to be manufactured. Now there's been the focus on the high throughput automated machines, which is entirely appropriate because there's so much testing that needs to be done. But you can imagine this means that those all have very specific pieces and parts and chemicals that need to be produced. And so any one of those gets uh, behind and then the, the, the production capacity and testing capacity starts to go down. So, and that's all the way from the nasal swabs and the other alternate swabs that we're looking at all the way to the sorts of things that we use to load the instruments and the sorts of things the instruments use internally to run. So we continue to have, um, and I think we're going to, for the rest of the year, at a minimum through 2020, we're going to have to continue to watch the, carefully the supply chain uh, and have a, almost a day-by-day -day or week-by-week -week kind of calibration of what we're doing and the testing that we're doing to accommodate fluctuations in availability. The flip side of that and the, uh, the corollary, of course, to capacity is utilization. And I think we'll see that's the other thing that we're very focused on now is really what's the best way to use our existing tests as well as the new ones. Um, with the existing tests like PCR and serology, I think on the PCR side, there's a huge desire to test and test and test, which is great. But at the same point, if it's a limited resource, we have to really make sure that we still focus the testing where it's most needed. As a, for instance, there's some businesses that would just like to screen everybody uh, that comes and shows up just to say they have some level of surety that they can security they can give to their patrons. 
but we know as a screening strategy that in the first three or four days of COVID infection, that test could well be negative, and yet they could still be exposing people in the business. So any business is still going to have to universally mask and do all those precautionary social distancing, all those precautionary things. The flip side we have seen is some, some payers are not wanting to pay for repeat testing in a hospitalized patient for molecular, whereas there, it might be entirely appropriate because there are patients that, as we just talked about, get severe life-threatening complications from COVID, but they can't be treated for COVID until you document the infection. And so they might need two or three tests to actually eventually have one that's positive that allows for the appropriate treatment. So there's, there's all kinds of questions around utilization that we need to continue to address with the existing tests as well. Yeah, well, I know that you've said in the past, availability and utilization go hand in hand. And I think it's really interesting thinking about how there's a demand for testing uh, that probably outstrips our supply. And I'll actually be talking to Dr. Paul Gennetto on a future podcast about how we've had to get really creative to supply some of those reagents, like the swabs themselves that go in people's noses and the transport media that that swab goes into. But then there's a question of how often should you be tested and one thing that I tell people a lot is it's just a point in time. If you're tested by a PCR test and it's negative, well, first of all, it doesn't guarantee that you're not infected. It could just be early on. Mm -hmm. um, but also, it only gives you a result for that day. And if you go out the next day to a big hot spot and hang out with everyone and don't socially distance and wear your mask, you could get infected. And so that result is only good for that period of time. And it's hard for people to understand. They want that negative result, and then they can say that that gives them some sort of surety. Really, I think it comes down to prevention. As you said, yeah. we have to keep socially distancing or safe distancing. Uh, we need to keep wearing our masks, washing our hands, and uh, really being vigilant. Yeah, that's right. And I, it, it, that's absolutely right. The other thing that's interesting in terms of innovation is when we think about the challenges globally, because one thing we've learned with COVID-19 is that we are a global community. And so just like in the US, you mentioned there are states that are having rising rates that affects everyone that lives in the US. Um, and wherever COVID is in the globe, until we know how to manage it, it's gonna affect everyone on the globe. And so the other big innovation is how do we get diagnostics out to low and middle income countries that might have the same laboratory infrastructure that we have in the United States and Canada and, and Europe, Western Europe. Um, so that continued to look at alternate alternatives like antigen testing that will continue to look at those things too. So there's still lots and lots and lots of uh, things to come and even utilization of some of the new tests. One of the questions that comes up a lot now is can someone be a quote carrier for, for COVID-19? What we think now is that patients probably have very, and there's good studies to show some people can have the molecular test be positive for a number of days after symptom resolution, up to three weeks. Now there's studies to suggest that if you have neutralizing antibodies, that that's not infective RNA. But again, we need to do, we don't, can't have just running lots of neutralizing antibody studies. So it's good. we just have to continue to gather information about the best ways to use the tests, basically. Well, I guess this means that you and I are going to continue to be talking about COVID-19 testing for the foreseeable future. Uh, I definitely agree with that. And I do think <laughs> one of the challenges that we have here and that many labs do is that, you know, in, in March, uh, April, uh, everything else was shut down. We had the advantage. It was all hands on deck. Uh, everyone looking at COVID because, you know, there's a lot of person power resources needed to, to manage these fluctuations daily. 
and we're still doing this and that's growing, but now we need people also to be restarting the other labs as health systems are coming back mm-hmm. and Mayo Clinic is, has more patients. And that's the other, it's creating actually a lot of stress because now we're trying to do this on top of our daily work as opposed to pausing all of our daily work to focus on this. Yeah, that's certainly something we see in my lab. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. The ticks are out and biting. And folks know that I study tick-borne diseases. And so, yeah, our numbers are skyrocketing in other areas. It's not just COVID. So you and I will continue to talk about COVID, but there'll be other things going on as well. And how do we balance going back up to full volume, but then having that added volume on top of it? Yep, exactly. There won't be a shortage of challenges, that's for sure. Right. Well, Bill, as always, great talking to you. Thanks for uh, joining me again this week. I really enjoyed it, uh, just like I do every week. So I look forward to the next (laughs) one. Thank you so much for tuning into Answers from the Lab. If you are interested in learning more about what we discussed in this episode, please click on the website address below. Plus, be sure to subscribe to this podcast as we will continue to provide you with Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing, science, and people who are making it happen behind the scenes. Thanks again, and don't forget to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday.